This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton, along with me on this journey back to the 80s is my co-host, Jason Masick. Hello, Jason. Before you die, there is something you should know about us, Bill. What? I am your father's brother's nephew's cousin's former roommate. What's that make us? Absolutely nothing, which is what you are about to become. Prepare to die. That's right, listeners. We'll be discussing 1987's Spaceballs, which was written and directed and starring Mel Brooks. This movie also stars Bill Pullman, Daphne Zuniga, John Candy, and Rick Moranis. This movie is rated PG with a running time of one hour and 36 minutes. So, what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is What's on the Box. Take it away, Jason. The gags and spoofy special effects fly at ludicrous speed as Mel Brooks boldly goes where no comic genius has gone before. The Spaceballs, a ruthless alien race led by the dastardly President Scrooge, played by Mel Brooks, are out to steal the air supply from their neighboring planet, Druidia. Enter Barf, the dogman, John Candy, and handsome space bum for hire, Lone Star, Bill Pullman, and their souped-up intergalactic Winnebago battlecruiser. Can they save Druidia while rescuing a spoiled Druish princess from a whining little runt named Dark Helmet, Rick Moranis, in time to pay off a mountainous mound of mozzarella known as Pizza the Hut? Well... That depends on whether you truly believe in yogurt and the power of the Schwartz. So explore Spaceballs and may the farce be with you. Ah, Spaceballs. Speaking of which, here are the lyrics, at least the lyrics to the chorus in the title song performed by the spinners. If you're living in a bubble and you haven't got a care, well, you're going to be in trouble because we're going to steal your air. Because what you got is what we need, and all we do is dirty deeds. We're the space balls. Bill Bant, how are you tonight, buddy? I am doing well. And yourself, Jason? <laughs> hey, man. We're doing space balls. Yeah. We're about to talk about those balls in space. Yes. All right. So that was what's in the box and a little bit of the space balls uh, main theme. So uh, let's move on to our earliest memories of the film. Jason, why don't you start us off? All good memories, my friend. I don't actually think I saw this in the theater, surprisingly enough. Being such a huge Star Wars fan, you would think that I would have just run out to see it. But I wouldn't be surprised if I've seen this a hundred times 
since, whether it be on VHS or cable premium channel, you name it. I mean, honestly, that's, of course, a maybe a slight exaggeration, but most likely I've not seen this movie less than 40 times in its entirety from beginning to end. I have seen this movie many, many a time, and I don't regret any of those viewings because this movie's awesome. Uh, I remember simply loving this movie because it's a wonderfully fun parody of my favorite films of all time, and that's the Star Wars trilogy. Of course, it doesn't only parody the Star Wars trilogy. You go, you throw Star Trek in, or Star Trek in there. Star Trek, I believe, is a different film. Uh, Star Trek, Planet of the Apes, amongst others. I believe there's even nods to like Buck Rogers, uh, Flash Gordon, etc. But I want you know, the, my memories, of course, are just all the numerous Star Wars references. Because in this movie, I mean, I remember, let's just start with Lone Star, who represents a blend of Han Solo and Luke Skywalker. Then we have Barf, the Mog, half man, half dog, who represents Chewbacca. We have Princess Vespa's Leia. We have Dot Matrix, who represents like C-3PO character. We have Dark Helmet as Darth Vader. President Scroob as the Emperor. And then there's the Star Trek character. There's Snotty, who represents Scotty from the Star Trek series and films. Yogurt as Yoda. We have the Schwartz instead of the Force. The Winnebago as the Millennium Falcon. The Dinks of the Jawas. Pizza the Hut as Jabba the Hut. And it goes on and on and on. I mentioned Barf, Mog, Half Man, Half Dog. I'm my own best friend. John Candy. I mean, priceless. Always. Always pure fun. You know, I, Rick Moranis has always stole the show for me, stolen the show for me, I should say. And he portrays Dark Helmets, our primary antagonist in this film, in an absolutely hilarious performance. So when I think of this movie in my earliest memories, I mean, I pretty much go straight to him. I, he's just the star of the show. Every moment he occupies the screen, it's funny. You can't keep your eyes off of it. Especially, I always remember him altering his voice because when he appears, he does the kind of the cheesy, low, you know, you know, impersonation or an imitation of uh, James Earl Jones as Darth Vader, right? Because he had that deep, resonating voice, and he does that, but only when the mask is down. And then he raises the mask and he talks just like Rick Moranis, and it's hilarious. So I always remember that. Uh, Of course, early memory of, especially as a kid, being a fan of Michael Winslow the actor and his specialty being his vocal sound effects. I mean, his voice is his instrument. I knew him, of course, from the police Academy films and what a gifted gentleman. So his particular scene in this film, doing the sound effects with his voice, definitely an early memory, ludicrous speed. Oh my God. We'll get into that. I just, (laughs) (laughs) So, so many quotes, Bill Bant, from this movie. I can't even tell you, after this film came out in 1987, how many times I repeated the quotes in school and beyond. To this day, constantly quoting this film uh, amongst my fellow classmates and Star Wars fans. For some reason, the memory that always stays with me is the industrial strength hairdryer. (laughs) 
and I can't live without it. Uh, of course, the quote, you have the ring, and I see your Schwartz is as big as mine. The bumper stickers are an early memory for me. We break for nobody. I love Uranus. Come on. Come on. Yeah, maybe it's, you know, playing to the lowest denominator there, but I don't care. And I love the Mel Brooks, that that kind of toilet humor sometimes, you know, or some might people say like dick and fart jokes or the most just the self-referential, self, you know, self-aware jokes like that that are just the obvious ones. They're still, they're funny. Um, the Flying Winnebago, uh, that's one of my earliest imagery, uh, just, yeah, images from this film. Uh, definitely the doll voice when we have uh, yogurt playing with all the merchandise and all the dinks are going over the, the merchandise and he pulls up the, the yogurt doll and he pulls oh, yeah. the string and it's maybe what be with you because I had seen it so many times as a kid. I just, the memory stuck with me. It, it, this is um, timeless for me personally. So it's great that I can remember most of this movie. Actually there's, I could just go on and on. So I'm just going to stop right now and pass it on to you, Bill. What are your earliest memories of space balls? Merchandising. Yes. I remember when this movie was coming out, every time they were talking about it on TV and they would show a clip, merchandise, they would show that clip with Mel Brooks as yogurt, trying to sell all the stuff everywhere, everywhere. And um, being a Mel Brooks fan from Young Frankenstein, because that was one of my go-to movies as a kid. I was I was excited, you know, I was like, oh, okay, this guy did Young Frankenstein, now he's gonna do a spoof on Star Wars. But yeah, I didn't see it in the theater either. I know when that was coming out on video, walking home from school every day, passing my local video store. You got a copy? Is it in yet? Is it in yet? <laughs> yeah, right. Is there a copy? Is there any copies left? And you know, did someone did someone bring in their copy? And um the same as you, Rick Moranis. He he steals that movie. Oh, absolutely. I would say out of outside of Honey I Shrunk the Kids, this is probably my favorite Rick Moranis role. Yeah. And that's saying a lot because he has some pretty iconic roles and we may talk about it later, but yeah, yeah, I hear you. I'm, I'm with you. I'm, yeah, I'm right there with you. Cause I think it's one of the few that he's really front and center. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think of his role. That's a good point. Like Lewis yeah. Tully and, and Ghostbusters. He's hilarious in that, but he's a, a bit player. Whereas in this, right. he's really, he's the reason why you're watching this movie. Cause he's just hilarious. And just every scene he's in, it's just, it's it's really a testament to it because i mean i'm laughing i'm giddy now because i can't wait to talk about some of his scenes but just the thought of him in this movie makes me laugh just the image of him in that stupid costume is amazing please continue yeah and i remember being bummed that they combined lone star as han solo and luke skywalker like i wanted a different he can't do both he can't right. be both that always irked me as a kid i was like oh man i want I want the Luke spoof too. Just the visual stuff is just great. Some of those visual gags are hilarious, especially when they're combing the desert and they're literally combing the desert. With those I have problems. it. Yeah, I've got it. I've got it written down. That, yeah, it's that just, scene made me crack up. Yeah. The fact that they actually had John Hurt in there doing the chest burst scene again was hilarious. So cool. So cool that they got him for this movie. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I just remember just being a lot of fun and just enjoying. What they did with Star Wars, I thought it was um, a cool take on it and not 
they treated all the movies with respect, even though you know right. they're spoofing them, and that and that's what I kind of liked about it. And overall, it is a kind of a it's a simple, fun story. You know, it follows Star Wars. Princess gets captured. the The rogue goes to save the day. Fall in love. It was cool. Just seeing different people like Jim J. Bullock, because I think too close from comfort was out at that. Is that the one he was in? Is it close? That's absolutely right. Yeah. 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 Because I remember that was on repeats all the time, like at five o'clock. For sure. I don't think I ever saw a first run episode of that show. It was always on repeats. I'm right there with you. I'm I'm pretty sure I I did the same thing with that show. Yeah. But I remember Jim J. Bullock from that show. He was a highlight for me. I always thought he was great on that. Yeah, I can't think of anything else he ever did, but that's what I know. No, but I know. He, he was so, I don't know. He just stood out on that show. Uh, yeah. I thought he was funny. So, yeah. Yeah, just the Pizza the Hut thing I thought was just kind of funny that they did. <laughs> so ridiculous and yeah. gross. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Oh, Absolutely man. disgusting. It's wonderful. It was a fun movie. Like I said, a lot of laughs, uh, really some really good visual gags. You know, the quote you said in the beginning, I used to do that one all the time, too. Of course. Friends, yeah. Yeah, and I'm going to give a special shout out to my buddy, Alan Noon, who actually recommended we do this film on Facebook. And I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. We have to. When we were trying to come up with something a little bit more lighthearted after our Splatter series, uh, then I thought of Al and his recommendation or suggestion. And I was like, yeah. And so here we are. And I love this movie, and I'm glad we get to celebrate it a bit tonight. And I couldn't agree with you more when you were talking about how Mel Brooks treats this spoof and satire and parody with a lot of respect. I mean, he's handling these properties, that being Star Trek, Star Wars, etc., with a lot of respect. And I watched a very short uh, documentary on YouTube, The Making of Spaceballs. And they specifically talk about the fact that you spoof what you love, or you should only spoof what you love. That's why I think as a child, too, we were so looking forward to the spoof, especially if you were a fan of Mel Brooks, you know how good he is at it. And um, if you, you know, appreciate his sense of humor and his style. Yeah, he's clearly a fan of these films. So you know that the jokes will be clever they'll be smart they'll be spot on they will uh be nuanced they'll pick up on little things that only you would know maybe as a diehard fan of that film because he loves those films he also grew up on them and and watched them closely and appreciated them for what they were and when he made this movie surrounded himself with the people uh the effects team and uh, people that knew science fiction and either had and some that had worked on the films themselves, the actual original like Star Wars films or Star Trek uh, TV show episodes, etc. Because he wanted to do it right. A lot of the post uh, production, the special effects were actually done by ILM, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Right. So I uh, just wanted to touch upon that because this is, again, he was a fan of Star Wars. So, and here's the thing is that uh, this was also mentioned in the documentary, which I really didn't think about is why Spaceballs in particular is timeless is like some of the actors were talking about how people over the years would come up to them and still quote lines from her, say, Oh, I'm a big fan of you from this film Spaceballs. And they don't even, they hadn't even seen Star Wars being because that Spaceballs actually stands on his own on its own as a good story. It's not just little vignettes. You'll see parodies today where it's just little scenes 
and the through line isn't there or there's not a complete story to it or the story falls apart or you don't care about what's happening in the actual movie. You just know each scene is just going to be a parody or making fun of another movie. And it's not a complete movie unto itself, if that makes any sense. Versus right. Space Falls, History of the World, Young Frankenstein, other uh, Mel Brooks, Blazing Saddles, you know, other films are complete films unto themselves. They have a beginning, middle, end, three-act structure. It's a full movie. And, and Space Falls is a great adventure film. Is it Obviously, it's a parody, so it's going to be very similar to the Star Wars story. But it's still it's still a fun adventure. It's still a fun space uh, space opera adventure that you can get into, whether or not you're a film of Star Wars at all. Yeah, I think that's the other problem. The other parody is it's a hit or miss on the joke, and then there's no reason to go back to it again. Right. Um, some other initial thoughts I had, man, was uh, again just still laughing out loud from watching uh, Rick Moranis. Uh, but there are other standouts for me upon this rewatch, Bill Band. One of them being the actor that plays Colonel Sanders, George Weiner. He's great. I paid a little more attention to his performance this time around. And he just does a lot of subtle things when, even when he's not speaking, but he plays off of Rick Moranis so well because he's basically the second in command and uh, he's quite good. Also Ronnie Graham. Now he's also one of the co-writers on this film, but he plays the minister who's conducting the wedding between Princess Vespa and Prince Valium. Ronnie Graham is freaking hilarious. He's barely in this. But the two times he is in the beginning and in the end, at the end, during the wedding sequences, he's amazing. And I'll touch upon very quotable. So he stood out for me uh, this time around. Also, there's something, for whatever reason, I've seen this film a million times, as I had mentioned. I, don't, I swear to God, Bill, I'd never really caught this before. Because in the Star Wars films, you have the light side and the dark side of the force. Mm-hmm. I didn't know in this for whatever reason that in this parody, you have the upside and the downside of the Schwartz <laughs> that had gotten past me. I, I'm still confounded by this. That was like a strange new discovery for me. I don't know why I wasn't listening before. I, it's just really odd to me. We talk about Mel Brooks's stylings, comedic stylings, and you'd mentioned the sight gags. Some of them are funnier than others. But man, when they land, they they do really land. And he said this in the, in the documentary as well, is that he just wanted to make a, a Jewish version of Star Wars, a Jewish version of Star Wars. Yeah. So you get a lot of that, the, uh, the Jewish humor mm-hmm. and commentary. And it, it plays. It's just really funny. So you get a lot of racial, religious references, sexual innuendo, innuendos. He's famous for breaking the fourth wall. Bill, man, I'm just going to say this as my last initial thought. I still was laughing my ass off watching this today. No, I'm laughing out loud. I'm still laughing out loud at this movie. And it it holds up for me. Holds up for me, man. Yeah, it's one of those movies because I've seen it so many times where I'm trying to watch everything else just to Mm -hmm. see if there's like, oh, is there a gag in the corner I'm missing? Or why is this guy over there on the side? Is he doing something funny that I've missed before? But yeah, I'll agree with you too with uh, George Weiner because I mean he's kind of in a way has has to play the straight man, right? So you know, so all the jokes can bounce off of, but he plays it in such a way that 
he's also really funny on how he presents the Colonel Sanders character. And it works great too. He, he is awesome in that too, because he's not really known for his comedic roles. So I think that's why it's perfect that he's doing this. Mm-hmm. He's got to let these jokes work. And uh, yeah, he just does a great job with it. He's an underrated character in the film. And it is one of those, the more you watch it, the more you appreciate what he brings to the movie. I mean, you know right away, Rick Moranis is going to bring it. John Candy is going to bring it. Mel Brooks is going to bring it. And then you're like, oh, yeah, George Weiner is kind of funny. And then, you know, even just with Joan Rivers doing her thing as Dot Matrix, pretty, you know, she's got some funny stuff on there, too. Uh, yeah, I heard that when Mel Brooks asked her to be in the film, he, he gave her the script and asked her to punch it up a little bit, too. So it fit mm-hmm. more into her style and yeah that it is and even the robot does look a little bit like joan rivers a little bit <laughs> pre pre facelifts <laughs> <laughs> or post facelifts uh, maybe maybe post yeah actually, let's say post facelifts yeah. yeah or maybe younger days but um there's some some really good performances in it and then um, when you just watch it over and over again you you start to see everything else 100 percent uh back to george pointer too because you kind of mentioned it Again, I just glad that you brought it up too. Is that now you've seen it so many times, you start paying attention to every little detail or uh, what other actors are doing or how they're listening or playing off of our protagonists or antagonists, the lead actors. So I recommend if you watch this film again, ladies and gentlemen at home, watch George Weiner play off of Rick Moranis and really listen to the timing because there are sequences where they're talking so fast and playing off of each other so quickly. It takes a lot of comic timing and uh, it's, it's talent because if you don't hit those beats in time, the pacing has to be right on. Otherwise it's just not as funny. Watch George Weiner too with his face. There's one thing that got me in the beginning of the film when dark helmet first appears and he walks down the hallway and he has to lift his mask because he can barely breathe under the helmet. And one of the lieutenants uh, says he had already contacted President Screw at Spaceball City saying that they found the uh, princess's ship. Or no, was it Planet Druidi, I think is what they yes. located. And Dark Helmet gets upset and uses his ring, which is part of the power of the Schwartz to zap that Lieutenant basically in the balls with a laser beam yeah. from his ring. And it's really funny, right? Because there you go. It's Mel Brooks humor. It just goes right for his balls and watch George Weiner standing off to the side. He does, he can't look like he's like, he just won't watch, but at the same time, he's like kind of shivering and making this face as if like, he's getting some sensation out of like a sexual like very weird, uh, like he's getting off on it somehow. <laughs> it's really weird. And it's hilarious. Another moment, of course, the entire ludicrous speed scene, which is amazing. And I'm just going to give it away right now. It's one of my favorite scenes. George Weiner in that scene is wonderful. Watch that uh, scene, but pay attention to him more in that scene. Again, the back and forth, the quick, quick back and forth. And of course, the the famous scene where they're actually watching the VHS tape of Spaceballs, that back and forth between Rick Moranis and George Weiner that, you know, 
when has this happened? No, that was then. But what about, no, this is now, now. No, that was then. No, we missed it. Now is now. You know, that whole sequence. Yeah, that's in one of my favorite scenes, too. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's because Rick Moranis plays it over the top. George plays it straight. Mm-hmm. But they're both just as funny. Right. Because one totally gets it. And the other one's like, what? What do you mean now? How's this happening now? No, that, that was then. Yeah, yeah, that was then. What is now happening? Right it, now. It's one of those sequences, and I'm not going to say this is by any means as good, but it reminds me of the Abbott and Costello who's on first. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. is, I mean, I'm sure there's no question it's an homage to that, that routine, which is famous. And if you haven't seen the who's on first routine, look it up. You can find it on YouTube. There are a few different versions of it, Abbott and Costello. Abbott and Costello doing it live. My dad was a huge fan of that routine. He's the one that had shown that to me years and years ago. And I will still watch it. We show it to my niece and nephew, you know, when they were young, because it's priceless. So it's that quick back and forth play on words and they're confusing one another. And it's just really funny. Well, actually it's, it's the bottom the thing is there's the straight man that understands what's going on. And the, the, then the comedic, quote unquote comedic guy is the one that's confused and that's what makes it funny. So that's the same thing happening here between uh Dark Helmet and Colonel Sanders. So pay attention to George Weiner. Very funny. Um do you want to just get right into favorite scenes and moments then? Yeah, since we're since kind we're, of in it. We've already done half of it. So let's just right. keep going. All right. Why don't you start, man? All right. So this is kind of a, a favorite moment. It's the opening shot of Spaceball One. Yes. That's exactly what I have written down to. Absolutely. Dun, dun. Yes. Dun. So the movie opens up with the crawl, of course. Yeah. It goes right to it's spoofing, you know, Star Wars when the Star Destroyer flies overhead and you, you're like, oh my God, look how massive this ship is chasing this little blockade runner. Well, this one, it just shows the Spaceball One. And I believe the shot is 93 seconds long of the ship. Beautiful. And the ship just slowly creeps on by the screen. And it's really good because I'm like, I'm looking at the screen. I'm like, wow, they really did some really good detailing on it. Yeah. And you're just watching it. You're watching it. And in a way, it almost makes you uncomfortable because you're just like, when's this shot going to end? And then you just start chuckling to yourself because it's just so funny. (laughs) Oh, my God. How long? Simple things. Yeah. How long is this shot? And then I'm like. Wow, this is really cool. I was, then you're just like, how long did it take him to build this model? Man, look, right. at, the, look at this work on there. Oh, how's <laughs> all this stuff is going through my head while you're just watching this ship go by. And I'm just laughing the whole time because like, I just can't believe all the things I'm thinking of when I'm trying to watch this shot. And then at the very end. Yeah, we break for nobody. Yeah, we break for nobody. And then that opening shot right there, that just makes me laugh every time. There's just something... That's a really good work on that ship. And it's just funny. It's just funny. Nailed it, Bill. First of all, because there is the opening crawl with the text identical to the opening of Star Wars, you know, giving a little bit of the exposition to the Star, you know. And of course, it ends with the chapter if, 11. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then at the very end, it's like, because it's the scroll, the crawl is fading out. Uh, and it says, uh, if you can read this, you don't need glasses. I was uh, like, woohoo, I'm still good. Right, yeah, right. And then, of course, Spaceball One enters frame left. Or I'm sorry, frame right to left. And you're like, wow, is this going to literally be a shot for shot 
parody of Star Wars because that's how Star Wars opens. I knew, of course, we've seen this movie a thousand times, man, and you know what this is. And you're like, yeah, this is the opening long shot of Spaceball One. This is a huge starship and it goes on forever. And that's the joke. And I'm like, I'm watching this going, I wonder if this is going to be funny this time. And Bill, it's about 45 seconds in. I'm glad you counted the, the seconds because I was doing the same thing to see how long it took for me to laugh <laughs> again. And it's about the 50 second mark of the shot where it's like, wow, this is going on too long. Yeah. And I laughed out loud again. I'm like, I can't believe this joke still works. It's amazing. It's the most simple thing. Because like all these questions <laughs> keep flying. I'm like, all right, how many people are on this ship? How many bathrooms have? Where do they put everybody to sleep? You know, how what, what what is on this? And all these things are flying through. Then I just start chuckling because you're just like, there's more ship. I, yes, I had a lot of respect for the the model itself that, that they were using for the because it is incredibly detailed and it's a great starship. It looks really cool. Yeah, like, I would love to have that model. Yeah, I was like, what, what is that section that we're passing right now? But <laughs> I wasn't even. I was more in my head. I was like, oh my god, is this going to be funny? I want this to be funny. And then if, the music is great too because yeah. it's really the dun dun dun, and then it's just dead air and i was like waiting for it waiting for it and then it just it was funny because it's like it really goes on way too long because just when you think it's going to be over it keeps going yep brilliant good call i had also put that down as my first favorite moment second favorite moment for me is we have the introduction of Dark Helmet. So Rick Moranis enters his Dark Helmet and he's wearing this crazy black costume uh, and he's got like a tie yes. and it's it basically looks like a dick and balls hanging from his neck. It's yeah. And it's meant to look that way and it's hilarious. Uh, and he's like wearing shorts over black tights. It's all black, but it's yeah. really funny. And he's got his cape and his huge helmet with a retractable uh, retractable mask and you get the and he's trying to breathe at it wonderful so we're introduced to him and we understand that they have located planet druidia and that's what they're they're trying to get to planet druidia so they can kidnap the princess vespa hold her hostage and then uh king roland will then give them the combination to the air shield, which will allow them to suck up all the air from Druidia, which is what they need to survive. That's kind of the plot here, if you're following me at all. But when they want to look at planet Druidia on the radar, Dark Helmet walks right over to this display and he sees the screen, which looks confusing. And he says, what is this? What is all this churning and bubbling? What am I looking at here? And that's from Colonel Sanders, another great George Weiner moment. It's like, well, this is Mr. Coffee, sir. And <laughs> this moment that really jumped out to me, and this is why I'm putting it in as one of my favorite moments, because when Rick Moranis turns around, he's immediately embarrassed. And he's looking around as if, to, like, hopefully nobody noticed that he screwed up and thought that the Mr. Coffee was the radar. And he goes, you know, he's like, yes, I, I know. I, I always have coffee when I watch radar. You know that. Everyone knows that. <laughs> it's just, I, I can't speak enough about Rick Moranis, his facial expressions. And that's Mr. You know, Mr. Coffee. And then they take a step to the right and it's Mr. Radar. Yes. 
it's just a great moment because of Rick Moranis's embarrassment at thinking that Mr. Coffee was the actually was the radar. I'm just putting that in there because that really it surprised me this time. I laughed out loud as to Moranis's embarrassment in that scene. I think what even made it funnier watching it now, because in the back of my mind, you're thinking he's had to have been on this ship before, mm-hmm. right? So he should know where the radar is. And the fact he goes to the Mr. Coffee, like he's never been on here before. Right. That kind of made me chuckle. It's yeah. like, you don't know the ship. I mean, how many times you've been, on, you've, been you've probably been on this bridge so many times. You don't know where any of the instruments are. I thought that was funny. Absolutely. I've got, I've got a lot of stuff here that I'll go through very quickly, but do you have another favorite moment or do you want to get into a scene? Um, I mean, yeah, my, my favorite scene is the when now scene. Yeah. So they initially try to capture princess Vespa and they have her in the tractor beam and Lone Star comes in, saves the day and they take off. And then Spaceball one tries to go after them and we'll discuss the scene to ludicrous speed, overshoot them. And then they decide, all right, well, how can, how can we track them down now? We overshot them. We have no idea where they are. And that's when Colonel Sanders is like, Oh, we can watch it on video. Spaceballs the movie. Yeah, Spaceballs right. the movie. And the fact that they go through the tape, they're jumping scenes. Mm-hmm. And they show the speed of the ludicrous speed scene where he's like, oh, yeah, keep going, keep going. Right. We, we don't need to see this part. We don't need As a matter of fact, part. just cut that part. We don't yeah, need to yeah. see that again. Uh, and then they tell the you know, technician, stop right here. And they literally stop where they are at that point in the movie. Just to clarify for the listeners, if you haven't seen Spaceballs, if you haven't seen the movie we're talking about, this is the movie within the movie. Yes. So our characters are watching Spaceballs, the movie. They're actually watching the movie that you're watching. Yes. It's really funny. Go ahead. Sorry. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's at that point in the film where they're talking about where... Lone Star is, and then on the screen, it's them having that same conversation at the same time, and they're totally confused about. Wait, <laughs> why do I see myself on the screen doing the same thing that's happening right now? And that's when <laughs> Colonel Sanders tries to explain to Dark Helmet the what does this happen in the movie? You're looking at now, sir. Everything that happens now is happening now. Right. <laughs> and then it's like, and then it's what happened to then? We passed then. When just now we're <laughs> at now. Now, go back to then. When? Now. Right. Now? <laughs> now. I can't. Why? We missed it. When? Just now. Right. <laughs> when will then be now? Soon. How soon? <laughs> oh, it's, 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 oh, it's so good. Oh, God. That's just a great. They're both amazing in that. Yeah. And then they rewind the tape to find out where lone star is with the princess but right that's how they locate them on yeah. planet vega yeah god the desert that, planet yeah that is one of my favorite scenes i love that every time absolutely great call man uh i'm gonna call out just a color a couple other favorite moments uh that happened a little bit before that particular scene uh we have planet druidia and we see this beautiful, luscious planet, and there's a castle, and Princess Vespa is to be married to Prince Valium, and Prince Valium, who is a narcoleptic and cannot stay awake, yawning the entire time, played by Jim J. Bullock. Again, I had mentioned the minister, uh, played by Ronnie Graham. Mm-hmm. And this moment when their approach, this is uh, Princess Vespa, Daphne Zuniga, 
and Prince Valium approaching the altar and you have the minister who's about to conduct this wedding. And (laughs) I laugh out loud every time because she makes a run for it. She does not want to marry Prince Valium and she escapes. She runs away with Dot Matrix, the C-3PO character uh, voiced by Joan Rivers. But as she's doing this, the minister says this. This is his presentation. This is what he's saying. He says, dearly beloved, we are gathered here on this most joyous occasion to witness Princess Vespa, daughter of King Roland, going right past the altar, mm-hmm. heading down the ramp and out the door. Yes. <laughs> I laugh every time because it's like he's announced, like he's play calling, like calling like commentating, yeah. commentating a, like a game. And it's just, oh, my God, it's so funny. Another uh, favorite moment, or it's a mini scene, is when uh, Spaceball One has Princess Vespa's Mercedes vehicle, space vehicle, in the tractor beam, and they, Dark Helmet instructs the gunner to fire a warning shot across her nose. Oh, yeah. And I said, across her nose, not up it. Yes, that's a great line. And then it goes into the whole asshole sequence, and it's just amazing, because he says, who who is this gunner? And he says, well, that's an asshole. I believe he says, well, I know that, but who is he? That's, that is his name. Asshole, major asshole. And it goes on and on. And eventually dark helmet, Rick Moran says, I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. Keep firing assholes. (laughs) That's one of my, it just tickles my, my funny bone every time. I mean, that is his name, major asshole. So I have to give credit. This is one of my, I'm going to go with this is my first favorite scene. It's the Michael Winslow scene as the radar technician, because I I, I can't get enough of him. I just tickled me. I just thought it was hilarious as a kid. Still love it today. When we know that basically Lone Star and Barf aboard the Winnebago, also known as Eagle five have uh, jammed the radar of Spaceball one, literally sent a giant, jar of jam that hits the satellite yes. dish and crashes against it. And now the radar is uh, all interfered with. And now aboard space bar space ball one, we have Michael Winslow as a radar technician. So he's watching the screen and all of a sudden it goes fuzzy and <laughs> he gets on the mic and calls over dark helmet and Colonel Sanders to tell them that <laughs> this is my, still my favorite part because he's doing it all with his voice. There are no sound oh, yeah. effects here. There's no sound design. He's doing this all with his voice. And he goes to the, the into the mic. He holds it up to his mouth and he goes, I'm having trouble with the radar, sir. And they say, we're standing right here. You don't need to be talking in the mic. And they yank the mic out of his hand. And he goes again, I'm having trouble with the radar, sir. Because <laughs> yeah. he's doing it with his voice. And I... Freaking cry laughing. And he yank, grabs the whole mic thing and yanks it out of the. Yeah, the, the way he just dives console. on the console. Yeah. And throws it across. Like, stop it. <laughs> I laugh every time. But he, that's the. It's a classic scene if you love Spaceballs because Michael Winslow talks about the beeps, the sweeps, and the creeps. And he does the sound for each. And it's very funny. And it all leads to one of my favorite moments, but it's all part of the same scene because he says, it looks like we've been jammed. The radar is jammed and there's literally jam oozing down the radar screen. 
And Dark Helmet takes finger, swipes the uh, the jam off the screen, tastes it, and he says, "There's only one man who would dare give me the raspberry, Lone Star." And the camera is zooming in on his face; it's pushing towards his face, and actually hits his helmet, and he falls backwards. I I can't get enough. Again, it's like breaking the fourth wall, but it's as if it's literally the cameraman hits Dark Helmet in the head with the camera and he falls backward. Love the Michael Winslow scene. Yeah, I know. I I wish he was back in another scene, too. I was like, yeah, I wish. Yeah, I wish he would come again in some other point. Maybe it was on the editing room floor. Yeah. So excited to see Michael Winslow in that. Yeah, I just I had loved him as a kid in Police Academy just to see him again. I was like, oh, my God, it's a guy who does the sounds. And then he's just doing his thing. Absolutely. Talented guy. Very funny. Um, so for me, just a like a moment that I loved was the capturing the stunt doubles. Yes. That, that always made me laugh. So Princess Vespa does get captured, recaptured, and she eventually gets captured. And they're taking her back. They take her back to Spaceball One, where they're going to use her to get the code to open the gate for Druidia and steal all their air. And of course, Lone Star and, and Barf and Dot Matrix come in to save the day and they start escaping. And there's a scene where they're trapped in this corridor and the doors are closing. Let's make a jump for it. So they jump through the door before it closes. And of course, it's in the room of all the space ball guards. And they're like, ha ha ha, thought you guys could escape. And then, and then actually, cuts, yeah. cuts to the four of them. And it's stunt doubles. It's the. It's probably not the actual stunt doubles they used throughout the film, but it's just kind of funny because it's like Princess Vespa is played by a, a guy. You know, it's a stunt right. guy. The stunt person for Dot Matrix is like hat and half in costume. The guy who's playing Barf doesn't look anything like John Candy, and even Lone Star. It just it's just you know you can tell the hair is totally different. Just oh, classic. it's fantastic because either it's in Vespa or Dot Matrix it, Dot that. It turns around and it's a guy with like a full beard and it's like smoking a cigar. Like he has a cigar in his mouth. That's um, Vespa. Is that Vespa? Oh, it's just hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, The guy, he's got got the Hitler mustache, of course. Because Mel Brooks always got thrown a little Hitler joke in there. Right. Right. (laughs) Very funny. I always found that scene to be pretty funny. It's like, oh, we caught their stunt doubles. That's hilarious because that captain of the guard who... um, I'm going to save his name for later just in case, but that line always, because he walks in so confidently thinking that they've caught them. Yeah. yeah, He's not even like looking at him. He's taking up. And he's taking up his spectacular stunt, my friends, but all for naught. (laughs) That's always one of my favorite things. Because I have a friend, Chris, who used to quote that all the time. Again, one of my classmates would just say that all for naught. Yes. Then no, you didn't catch it. You caught their stunt doubles. Yeah. yeah. Great scene. Good call, man. Well, I'm going to jump to my next favorite scene, which I just call the ludicrous speed. Yes. Scene. It's just an all-time classic. And Dark Helmet insists on going to ludicrous speed to catch Lone Star and Barf and Princess Vespa aboard the Winnebago because they've already jumped to hyperactive. Yes. <laughs> which I love. <laughs> the Eagle and, Five, I think it's called. Right. But I, I, yeah, I just like that instead of hyperspeed or hyperspace, they say hyperactive. Yes. Uh, so going to ludicrous speed, Spaceball One, this moment, when, oh, because yeah, at the very beginning, 
when Dark Helmet immediately, you know, or insists upon going to, he says, we're going to ludicrous speed. You hear the whole crew go, <gasps> like gasp all at once. <laughs> like, and that's another great uh, George Weiner moment because Dark Helmet goes up to him and says, what's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? Yes. <laughs> George Weiner goes, prepare ship. Yeah, prepare <laughs> ship. <laughs> he says, sir, you better buckle up. And Dark Helmet goes, ah, buckle this. <laughs> Yes. Other quotes. I mean, this is all in the same scene. Now they're going at ludicrous speed and Dark Helmet is holding on for dear life. He's basically flying in midair and he's holding on to like the main console and he's yelling as the ship is just going at a million miles an hour and says, what have I done? My brains are going into my feet. Yes. <laughs> and of course, they hit the emergency brake, with their, which they're not supposed to do. And Dark Helmet goes flying into the command center, hitting his head first, and there's a giant dent in his helmet, and he stands up, and this, <laughs> for me, was the all-time, my old, as a kid, my all-time favorite, because Rick Moranis is completely dazed, he's totally out of it, and he's almost, he's like very pleasant, and Colonel Sanders walks up to him and says, are you all right, sir? Fine. How have you been? <laughs> and he's so nice to him. And he's just like, well, why don't we take a five minute break? Smoke him if you got him. Yeah. He goes oh, into boy. his Lewis Tully voice, which yeah. I love. And and then he just passes out. The ludicrous speed. I can't get enough of that scene, man. Yeah, just the fact he's like literally parallel to the ground, hanging on right. to the console. <laughs> what have I done? It's almost like Carol Ann in Poltergeist before she gets sucked into. Oh the yeah, totally. It's exactly that's that's good uh, image. Yeah, that's exactly what he looks. <laughs> but I do have a question because I'm embarrassed. I don't understand the plaid joke. I've never gotten it. I still okay. don't understand it. All right, all right, right. Good. I'm glad it's just not me. I'm like, I was like watching this time. I'm like, oh, maybe that I'm older. I don't understand the plaid joke. I'm like, no, I still don't get it. No, they've gone plaid. Yeah, suppose like that's even beyond ludicrous speed so yeah and then there's another quick moment i'm gonna call out which you had mentioned earlier and that's when they're combing the desert because president scroom says tell them to comb the desert comb the desert and of course then you see dark helmet and colonel sanders commanding their spaceball soldiers in the desert to and they're literally combing the desert with giant combs and then it pans over to an african-american with a hair pick you know very stereotypical stuff but it's actually quite funny uh, coming. And they're like, have you found anything yet? We ain't found shit. Yeah. Oh. As a kid, that was the funniest that was, line. Again, right? That was, at was that age, funny. that was the funniest line in the movie because the fact he cursed at the end of the line. Yeah. We ain't yeah. found shit. Yep. Beat my pants. But that's even a, like a funny gag is Dark Helmet and the Pith Helmet. Right. The oversized pith helmet <laughs> with the little so eyes ridiculous. cut out. That so... cracks me up. That was hilarious. Oh, man. Giant binoculars. And he's literally like in the middle of the hat looking. What a wonderful costume that would be for Halloween. Oh, to yeah. do not just dark helmet, but dark helmet in the desert yes. uniform with the pith helmet. Yeah, that, that would actually would be, be better. Because then people would be like, oh, that's clever. You went for the actual uh, pith helmet dark helmet well that's good i got 11 months to work on it now there you go sweet i don't mind if we go long in this segment because i think it's worth it we've got i mean there's just so much in this movie 
uh, but I'll try to make it quick. My next favorite scene is Dark Helmet playing with his dolls again. Yes. I, yeah, that was on my list, too. OK, good. Well, why don't you why don't you do it then? Because uh, I've been talking too much. So there's a scene where for some reason, I, Dark <laughs> Dark Helmet has these, we'll say action figures. Right. Yeah. Totally. And he has Princess Vespa and Dark Helmet and Lone Star and Barf. And he's playing them like you would like a, a seven-year-old were, was. Oh, well, you know? it's brilliant because it's just like having Star Wars action figures. Like, yes. Like, yeah, that's exactly what it's supposed to be a play on. Yeah, it's great. And they're really cool figures. And you're kind of like, damn, why did they ever put these out in the store? And Rick Moranis is play acting with them. So, Princess Vespa, I have you now. No one can save you. It's like, oh, no, no, get away, get away, get away. Oh, Lone Star, you think you can stop me? And of course, you know, he literally just does the classic smash figures against each other. <laughs> I actually, just, I had to, I had to write it down, Bill. Go ahead. I freaking love it. Lone Star, now you are going to die. Hey, what did you do to my friend? The same thing I'm going to do to you, big boy. Jewish yes. princesses are often attracted to money and power, and I have both, and you know it. Oh, your helmet is so big. <laughs> and then they, he just starts like smacking their faces together. So Dark <laughs> Helmet and, and Princess Vespa American are kissing. Yep. And then the door swings open. Yes, There's yes, Colonel no, Sanders. No, no, yes. I find your helmet extremely attractive. And then, of course, Colonel Sanders butts in and Dark Helmet grabs all the figures and tries to hide them. And he's like, what? What do you want? And... You know, Colonel Sanders says, what's going on? He's like, you didn't see anything that was going on, do you? And Colonel Sanders like, no, I did not see you playing with your dolls again, sir. And then just closed the door. Because then you just know, like, this isn't the first time we've seen this happen. Right. So, yeah, it's it's a great scene. It's just so funny. And it was improv Yes. It was not in the original script. Somebody had come up with the idea off screen or in between takes, and then they decided to give it a shot, and Rick Moranis just ran with it. Nailed it. (laughs) Because it would be something a seven-year-old would do. Oh, yeah. It's something that we did as kids with our Star Wars action figures. Oh, absolutely. Do the same thing. You would kill by literally ramming your figure into (laughs) the back. Yeah, Yeah. that's how you killed him. You got to knock him over with the other guy, because it a fake laser bolt isn't going to kill you. You got to actually knock them over. Right. And then you would give your princess layer to your sister. So she would leave you alone. So you could play with your other figures. But the fact right. that Grant actually played with, that was cool. Uh, so good, man. Quick moment. I love when King Roland gives up the combination to the uh, Druidia air shield. And it's one, two, three, four, five. Yes. It's just still, it's still funny. It's mm-hmm. so dumb. It's so dumb. It's funny. Just the fact that Stick Van Patten playing. Oh, yeah. Playing King Roll. Yeah. Yeah. That's just amazing casting. Just, I would never have thought to cast him in that movie. So that was kind of cool to have him in it. I'd love after the merchandising scene with yogurt, then throughout the movie, we'd be peppering with space balls of toilet paper, space balls of place bad. Oh. That was always cool just to find all that stuff after. It was great because right. they didn't do any of that until you saw that scene. And then in every scene, almost every scene afterwards, you would catch something that. Yes. Baseball's the sheet. Yes. Uh, like it's the, the bed sheet <laughs> over President Scrooge and the twins. Yeah. 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 Very, very funny. 
my uh, do you have any other favorite scenes? Because I was just I have no, go ahead. Uh, my because we're going to end up talking about the whole movie. So of course, I think my favorite my favorite scene though this is this is pretty much wrapping it up for me is I'm just calling it the Schwartz duel. It's the big Schwartz lightsaber duel at the end between Dark Helmet and Lone Star. I mean, it's just full of quotes. Uh, it's the opening quote. That's kind of where the duel starts. Uh, what I what I open the podcast with. Again, the the famous quote, you know, you have the ring and I see your Schwartz is as big as mine. Now let's see how well you handle it. There's a moment in the duel where Dark Helmet hits the sound guy when he when he chops oh, yeah. down the sound guy. Just brilliant. Again, breaking the fourth wall because the camera pans over and Dark Helmet uh, has a random like swing off to the side with his lightsaber, basically. And you see the film crew shooting the movie. Yep. Yeah, that's great. The like the boom guy goes ah and falls over him and Dark Helmet because he did it. Uh, and there's the like shit. I hate when I get my Schwartz twisted. The moment this is what I forgot. This I laughed out loud at again. Rick Moranis when he's playing or he's toying with Lone Star because he says, "You know what? I respect you. May the best man win." Put her there, and he goes to shake his hand, and he steals the ring off a of Lone Star's hand. That's another one I used to do all the time too. Yeah, look, you fell for that too. I can't believe it, man. Yes, <laughs> I would say though, I can't believe it, man. Like it sounds like he's doing a Jamaican accent or yes. something. Oh. I used to love doing that line. And then another great line here it, towards the end when he thinks he's got Lone Star cornered, he says, "So Lone Star, now you see that evil will always triumph." Because good is dumb. Dumb. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the, the whole the Schwartz duel is amazing. And credits to Bill Pullman, too. He's he's great as Lodestar. Uh, and I got a little Bill Pullman story later on, which is very brief. But uh, uh, so they're great, that scene. And then I'm just going to top it off with one final moment, going back to Ronnie Graham as the minister because he's once again trying to conduct this marriage. And at the last second, the Winnebago flies over, making this loud noise. And the minister just goes to join Princess Vespa and Prince Valium in the bonds of holy moly. Yeah. <laughs> I remember my sister loving that when we were young, watching this movie, laughing out loud. Uh, and I still do it to this day. Yeah. So that's, that's what I got for favorite moments and scenes, man. All right, so we left about 20 minutes of the movie that you'll have to watch on your own, and I think we cover everything else. All right, so let's move on to our next segment, which is Swiss Cheese and Complaint Department. And why do we call it Swiss Cheese? Because although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. If it doesn't fall under Swiss Cheese, we just file a complaint with the Complaint Department. All right, Jason, got anything for Swiss Cheese or Complaint Department? You know, I've got only one item that being a whole for the swiss cheese segment okay so we have princess vespa and dot matrix aboard the mercedes uh space vehicle in mm-hmm. which they escaped planet druidian escaped the wedding to prince valium and they're in space and then they get caught by Spaceball one in the tractor beam okay. now eagle five the winnebago and lone star barf come to the rescue and they're hovering above the mercedes because they're going to extract Princess Vespa and Dot from the Mercedes. They're going to rescue them. Well, they're hovering above 
the Mercedes and Barf descends a ladder in open space. Yes. <laughs> That's my people. Yeah, you're just dead. Like, I understand this is a total spoof comedy and it's supposed to be ridiculous. But that always, every time I watch it, I'm just like, you didn't even try to put like helmets on like, anybody now. Or, yeah, wear a spacesuit or have kind of like when you see a space shuttle or something in, in science fiction films now, like uh, connect to the space station. There's always the, like a suction. I'm wow. I have no terminology. The do- right yeah, now. The, the, the docking coupling. Thank you very much. Yeah, something like that. No, he just descends, and I get that's part of the joke. He just kind of descends a ladder, but it's in wide open space. It just it's it's funny, but it's still so ridiculous because that ship's getting pulled in, and then the Winnebago's above. So the Winnebago's got to move with the ship too. So I'm like, that's some uh, skillful piloting you got going on there. Keep that ladder yeah. steady too. So yeah, it gets it gets a little ridiculous when you think about it. Because then Princess Vespa, they go back up the ladder. They also go just into open space. Yep. Like it's just that's that's the only hole I put down. Because you know we you got to go with this, right? Yeah. It's supposed to be ridiculous. How about you, man? Do you have any actual holes? I think I do. All right. All right. So tell me about your holes, Bill. All right. So let's just talk about the plot of this movie. All right. So we have the space ball. And Planet Druidia. So Spaceball right. needs Druidia's air. Right. there. Yeah. Spaceball City and Spaceball the planet are running out of air. That is the precious commodity in this universe. So their plan is to capture the princess. Correct. And then ransom her for the air. They, right. Because Planet Druidia has an air shield, which keeps in all of their air. They are all fine and healthy. They have plenty of air. And that's what the Spaceballs want. Okay, so my first part of the plot question is, what was really their plan for capturing the princess? Good question. Because (laughs) now is Prince Valium from a different planet? So they knew the wedding was going to happen and that they were going to leave Druidia. And then it just kind of worked out that she left early anyway. Oh, you know what? That may be the case because there is that funny line where Rick Moranis as Dark Helmet makes a bad joke. He says... Well, I hope it's a long ceremony because it's going to be a short honeymoon. Mm-hmm. And then drinks the coffee. Hot, too hot. Right. Uh, okay. So maybe that was the plan was that they were going to capture them on their honeymoon when they left the planet. So I'm okay with that. All right. So then the second thing is Planet Spaceball supposedly has an air problem. And they do make the joke in the beginning with screw with the, with the Perrier. <laughs> yeah. But there's no other reference that they have an air problem. When they go to rescue, the guards are hanging out outside. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's like, where, where's your where's your air problem? That's observant. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. Because at first, when you see the planet, you see it all like the circle dome. I'm like, oh, they're all inside anyway. I mean, there's no reason to go outside. I mean, the way your, your city is structured, you should be fine. What do you need air for? You can just make your own air. And then you have the scene where you have the guards outside. And I'm like, they seem to be breathing okay. Right. Which, again, would be, it appears, would be like open space. Unless, right. I don't because it appears to be like a moon planet, just a city planet. But I don't know. It, it's funny. Yeah, yeah. It's a total, that's a whole, for sure. Yeah. yeah. You would think they'd be wearing like oxygen masks, right? Yeah, I just wish they played, tank, up the, yeah. played up the air jokes a little bit more. Because it was funny, the Perrier thing. I thought it was funny. Absolutely. But I know they're yeah. trying to keep it. I know they're trying to keep it a secret. 
it doesn't look like the planet needs air. I don't know. Yeah. That was like the closest thing I could find to Swiss cheese for this movie. So, all right. So what do we it's got for stuff, compl- complaints then? So, you know what? I've only got a few, man, but I think this is clearly done on purpose, but it's so ridiculous. The fact that the space ball troopers, like the stormtroopers from Star Wars, mm-hmm. are similar in the way that they're terrible shots, but they're actually worse shots. Yeah, because they're so close. They're within like eight they're, feet and all the time. They're like face to face with people and still missing. But yeah, uh, they're just terrible. They're awful yes. shots. All, yeah, all those shooting scenes, they're within 10 feet of each other. Yeah. In the hallway, outside, the Eagle Five, when they're trying right. to get away. I mean, the best they could do is hit Princess Vespa's they hair. They singe her hair. Yes. Yeah. I agree with that, too. I'm just like, geez. And it's like 8 million lasers are just, and they're just, come on, by accident, you would hit somebody. So yeah, I found that funny, too. All right. So here, here's a question. Sure. This could fall under complaint or this could fall under cheese. All right. So Princess Vespa takes off. She doesn't want to marry Prince Valium. So the king contacts Lone Star. Right. So you'd think that they know each other somehow, right? Because mm-hmm. that always got to me. I'm like, how does he know Lone Star? How does he know to contact Lone Star to get him to save his daughter? Right. You would think that they had like business before at some point. Maybe Lone Star did something for the king. So I would have thought that Lone Star would have met the princess at some point then. Like, if he knows the king, then he knows the princess. Mm, yeah, I gotcha. I do understand what you say. I always took it as though Lone Star's reputation preceded him. So it was as if King Roland knew of Lone Star. I don't know if they had how much previous contact they had had or what their relationship was, but maybe it was purely business and it was from a distance. Well, okay. I kind of found like they knew each other. I gotcha. Yeah. In that case, that makes sense. I was always like, kind of like King Roland was like, in case of emergency, I've got Lone Star's number over here. And I know he's this rogue cruising around the galaxy and I can just call him up and in case I need his help. It's not like King, I wouldn't, I don't see King Roland and Lone Star, you know, hanging out at cocktail parties. No, I don't either. Maybe it should have just been like a general message to anyone. Right, and then Lone Star overheard. He's like, "Oh, right, right. like we're, he in, we're in the, the area, yeah, or something." He just picks up the transmission somehow. Yeah. I know where she's going. Let's go. Let's go try to save her and get the money. Right. It's a little nitpicky. Here's one I've got. The actual favorite scene of mine: the Schwartz duel. Mm-hmm. The choreography is terrible. <laughs> oh yeah, the actual fight choreography. Yeah, not good. If you do watch it. They're just doing the most. It's like two kids playing, playing swords, right? Playing fake uh, sword battle. They're just doing the, you know, back and forth. Uh, there's no actual sword play. Two kids would do better, actually. So that was a that's definite. That's a legit complaint I have. It's like uh, they really didn't put much effort into this choreography. Mm-hmm. Here's a weird. This is actually the last thing I have to complain about. Really, I just think it's sort of weird that. At the end, it feels as though the Mega Maid explosion should be the climax of the film. But there's like 20 minutes still after that happens. Oh, yeah. Of the movie. And it feels a little forced. Like, oh, we still like almost as if Mel Brooks felt like, I still want to get a few more spoofs in. Mm -hmm. We got to do a couple more parodies because then you get the alien 
spoof and you get the planet of the apes spoof yes following that and so it feels a little even though i am there's still laugh out loud like great stuff that happens after the mega maid does explode it feels like they stretched it out just a little bit to include a couple more jokes oh yeah you know? all right two two little nitpicky things uh one was the when barf when they're in the prison and barf grabs the tubes to try yeah. to stop <laughs> this, you mean the space balls, the, 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 the lasers? Yeah. Going and in and it grabs the, little, the tubes, the round tubes. So yeah. he points at them and catches the lasers in the tubes and they go back and right. Yeah. That ain't happening. Sorry, Barbie, but he, I mean, they shoot so bad. I was like, how do you even think they're going to get those tubes? To, yeah. Not going to happen. I, I thought you were going to comment because you mentioned the prison. I thought you were going to comment on Daphne Zuniga's singing, which I don't have a complaint about. I still find hilarious all the time when you hear her. Oh, yeah. And that's her. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. So, yeah, jump in the, jump in the fun facts. Yeah. Originally, Mel Brooks was going to have someone dub that. And she was like, no, I can do it. So that's her. That's her singing. That's great. Oh, oh the, she's and a the, bass. And the second thing I found kind of funny was after they capture the princess of the ship in the tractor beam and it goes into the docking bay and it's it's the perfect oh. size for the docking bay like oh, a ship right. that big you're, you're thinking something from star wars you know star destroyer like when the shuttle comes in and it's like massive and it's like this little room and then the ship comes up and it's the perfect size and fits in there it's like yeah not buying that but you know, that's looking at it as an adult, as a kid, you don't care, but you're looking at an adult and you're like, yeah, yeah that's, that's, yeah, wow, perfect size. Ship fits in there perfectly. <laughs> that's just great. Wow. Amazing. Uh, that's another great dark helmet scene. Well, like I said, that's how much we like the movie. We're, we're nitpicking, nitpicking. Yeah. We try to get complaints and Swiss cheese in here. We're, because the, I, you know, this is a spoof parody satire. So it's hard to complain about stuff about. Right. Because it's already making fun of itself. Be, so it's all supposed to be mistakes yes. and ridiculousness so did you have anything else because i'm out man yeah i'm done too i was okay like, like i said i was i was stretching because this movie is nearly perfect bill that's why it's almost, right. it's almost all right so let's move on to hey it's that actor all right so in this segment we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films an actor making their big screen debut or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo it's Hey, it's that actor. All right, who wants to go first in this one? Uh, you go first, man. Okay. It's all you. You know, watching this movie, coming across a bunch of different actors, and I was like, oh, I'm going to use this one. Oh, I'm going to use this one. And then we got to the scene in the desert, and and I was like, oh, my God, I actually recognize one of the dinks. And it's Tony <laughs> Cox. And he played an Ewok in Return of the Jedi. He was in Ewok adventure movies. He was the little preacher guy at the end of Beetlejuice. So all this stuff, you see him in costume. He was even, he played Hooter in the Captain EO, if you're ever at Epcot pack oh in the my day. God. Okay. So the one movie that we see him where he's playing a, a character character, mm-hmm. he's the foul-mouthed elf, Marcus, from the bad Santa movies. Oh. Billy Bob sh- Thornton's sidekick. Of course. Yes. He's fantastic. Yes, that's Tony Cox. So if you look at the dinks, watch real careful. I think he's the one that pours the water for Barf. 
That's that, great. That's the first time I saw him. I was like, oh my God, I know him. And uh, so that's good my, catch, man. Yeah, that's my hit. That's that actor. Yeah. That's great, man. I was going to go with Jim J. Bullock, but we've already covered him. Yes. And then you had brought up the uh, stunt double scene. And so I was going to go with the captain of the guard, Stephen Tablowski. He was on my list. Yeah. Again, spectacular stunt, my friends, but often not. You know, he plays the character Hugo Jerry on Deadwood. He was Stu Beggs on Californication. He has a great run at Californication show, actually really liked. But probably most well-known or recognizable as Ned from Groundhog Day. Ned Ryerson. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that guy. Yep. He plays captain of the guard in Spaceballs. So Steven Tablowski. He's great. Mm-hmm. Great character actor. He's done a million things. Yes. Um, so, and I will give one quick shout out to someone else, very famous actor who was in full makeup for the Planet of the Apes spoof, Michael York as ape number one. Oh, Jason, bad news. What? That is not Michael York. Bullshit. It's not. Everything on the internet is true. That's what IMDb told me. And I'm proud to say. Well, that was, that's what, actually, where's that? No, that's what, actually in my facts and trivia. Michael York will say he was not in that movie. He does not know why he has that credit and disputes it. And it's like, it's gotten to the point where they won't change it. So I just leave it alone. That's amazing. <laughs> Cause I really listened to it, you know, this time just because uh-huh. it does sound like him. Right. It isn't. That's it isn't. amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good segue to our next segment. The fun facts and trivia. If you're, if you're ready, unless you wanted yes. to call out another actor. Yeah. So let's move on to facts and trivia. What are some facts and trivia we have for space balls? Space balls. So speaking of Star Wars, the Millennium Falcon from the Star Wars saga makes a cameo appearance in this movie. Uh, if you take a close look at the exterior shot of the space diner, you can see it spotted there. And uh, if you blink, you'll miss it because it happens. It's sort of quick. But uh, yeah, there you go. That's just that's it. Millennium Falcons in this movie. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I think on the DVD in the on one of the menus, it has a shot of the that diner. Like the matte painting. Yeah. And that's where you really get a good shot of the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. It's parked right there. I don't think I ever caught that before. Until I, I, I really hadn't. I just wasn't. Yeah. I, I never thought. Yeah. Cause you're always looking at the neon sign and the diner. And the wind, yeah. And the diner. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of funny too. Cause you got to walk in outer space to get to the diner. Right. <laughs> and then it's funny too, because I was thinking about this. It's like how star Wars has stolen now from space balls. Whereas in the Clone Wars, you had the whole diner scene. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was from Spaceballs. Or in Rogue One, you had the planet that was encased in the glass ball. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wow, that's from Spaceballs. That's amazing. Okay. Uh, so, go ahead, man. All right. So I mentioned um, Tony playing one of the Dinks. Mm-hmm. The Dinks actually have names. Oh. So you got Rinky Dink, Blinky Dink, Stinky Dink, Pinky Dink. Finky Dink and Winky Dink. Amazing. Someone always does a trivia with the Snow White and Seven Dwarfs. So we're like, oh, yeah, why don't you name the, the Seven Dinks? Let's see how good you are there. <laughs> there you go. You'll win a dollar on that bet. 
Mill Brooks had stated pers- that he uh, actually personally obtained George Lucas's full permission to parody any and all things Star Wars, uh, but on one condition, that absolutely no merchandise be produced or sold from this movie. And that's the reason why all yogurt and the dinks do is merchandising. So that's why you have that scene and then you see all of the merchandising uh, throughout. Thanks, George. Uh, which is just, it's, I think that's great. It's funny. Yeah. I'm not happy with that. I would love some of those action figures. And I would like to know who has those. Like if somebody with Rick oh, Mar- yeah. Moranis or somebody held on to some oh, of those. Oh, yeah. You know you someone know? took one of those. Yeah. Yeah. They're in someone's back closet that'll turn up at some movie auction prop at some point. Go for a pretty penny. Uh, also, speaking of Star Wars, that the escape pod launch sequence is actually an unused clip from Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Yeah, that was another one. I was I did not know that either. But then as soon as I see it, I'm like, oh yeah, it looks. And I watched upon rewatch. I'm going, wow, that really does look like from A New Hope. Mm-hmm. I'm oh well, that makes sense because Lucasfilm actually provided that footage. There you go. That saved him a couple bucks. Yeah. So, you know, we've been praising this movie throughout the podcast. So this I found surprising. So the 10th Stinkers Bad Movie Awards. Oh, yeah. I had this too. Yeah. Voted this worst picture of the year in 1988. I don't get it. Well, that's why they're not around anymore. I mean, we still have the the golden raspberries. Right. But. No, because I, I saw the movie won an award. I'm like, oh, it must be for special effects. And it's like, that's what I thought too. It was going to be something along those lines, but no, there's no way this is worst picture. Yeah, here's the other nominees that I was against: the Garbage Pail Kids movie, Ishtar, Leonard Part Six, and Who's That Girl? First of all, Ishtar actually isn't that bad of a movie. No, I don't think it's that bad either. And this is definitely not that bad. And I, that's the strange thing about this movie, though. I do sort of recall, and you may get into this uh, in the reviews and such here in the next segment, but that it wasn't necessarily the most well-received movie. No, we'll talk about it. Like I'm sure we'll talk about it Like where we put this in the Mel Brooks canon. Sure, sure. But it's definitely, it's not it's nearly, not, it's, it's not, not a bad movie, and it's certainly not the worst movie. No, it's not. It shouldn't have won the Stinker Award. That was just no, that's a, ridiculous. That's I don't a publicity know. thing. That's kind of stupid. Yeah. President Scroob's name is an anagram of Mel Brooks. Yes. The man who plays. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Scroob Brooks. So I mean, we'll get a little into this when we go into the box office, but 20% of the budget went into special effects, which was one of the highest mm. amount spent on special effects in a movie that year. In 1987, I should have went through and looked to see what other movies came out that year that were high special effects. Even watching this, for the most part, I thought the special effects were still pretty good and held up pretty well. Oh yeah, I mean, there, I mean there's like it's weird because like the first time you see the Winnebago, it's a weird seeing it fly across the screen and like the wheels aren't moving. Mm-hmm. Part of me was like, oh, the wheels should be moving, so. It, it looks more right, realistic, like, but then yeah. I'm thinking, no, because then everybody complained like, hey, you're in space. The wheels shouldn't be moving. So it made sense that they were still, but there was just something weird about it. When you saw those shots of the Winnebago, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah the wheels shouldn't be moving. But but it still feels like it's static, like it's not. Yeah. It's a dead stick, like it's just floating, like right. floating aimlessly. Mm-hmm. Right. That's funny. 
but yeah, I thought that the models were good for that. Of course, oh, yeah. we're already bragging about the model for Spaceball 1. I thought the special effects were pretty good overall. I mean, yeah, there's a couple of things that were limited to in late 80s, but uh, no, it's good stuff. I agree. So Rick Moranis, I, I guess, claimed in a 2013 interview that he and Brooks had discussed a potential sequel with Moranis pitching the title Spaceballs 3, The Search for Spaceballs 2. However, uh, they were unable to structure a deal that would allow the project to move forward. In 2015, Brooks said that he would like to make a sequel to the uh, to be released after the next Star Wars film and hoped that Moranis would reprise his role. Uh, again, this was to be called Spaceball 2, The Search for More Money, which uh, is that title is mentioned in this movie. Yeah. But uh, that never happened. So we're still waiting. Yeah, don't think that's going to happen. But yeah, I mean, this definitely is a movie that would be ripe for a, or would have been ripe for a sequel. Oh, yeah. I think it would have worked. I mean, I mean, we're all still waiting for History of the World Part 2. Right. Also. So, I, you know, he's not, he's sure. not known for doing sequels. So, yeah, that's I doubt we're ever going to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone's ever going to do it. Uh, quick fun fact. The the twins, the Gallup twins, uh, Denise and Diane Gallup, that play Charlene and Marlene. Uh, were actual double mint chewing gum commercial twins. I couldn't remember if they were or not. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Cool. Let me mark that off. Question answered. Awesome. Here's a fun little fact here I got from the documentary. The cast and crew of Spaceballs, the movie, share 20 Academy Awards among them. That's pretty awesome. And that just is another testament to Mel Brooks really wanted to do this movie right. I mean, he's a fan of Star Wars, Star Trek, et cetera, sci-fi films. And so if he was going to do the spoof right, he wanted it to look right and to have some authenticity and uh, whether it be production design, special effects, et cetera. So he uh, hired the right people. In one of the documentaries on the, the DVD, they were talking with the director of photography and he was asking Mel Brooks what he wanted. And he's like, I need everything bright because comedy only works if you can see it. So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess that's a good piece of advice. Right. There was a cool little thing in the documentary, too, that uh, where Mel Brooks uh, talked about the production designer doing a great job in the detail with everything. But then everything was down to, like, Princess Vespa's dressing room and uh, or bedroom and that set or the diner or whatever, that it was just so detailed and it looked so great. But then he had him extend it a little bit make it a little bit bigger for that comedic effect Mm -hmm. which i thought is just there you go that's the comic genius that mel brooks is that's what you do as a comedic filmmaker just to give it that exaggerated look so i don't know Mm -hmm. cool little tidbit there yeah Uh, anything else for facts and trivia no that's all i got for that all right, so let's move on to box office. So Spaceballs was released on June 26, 1987, on an estimated budget of $24.7 million. The movie grossed $38.1 million. It was um, supposedly Mel Brooks's most expensive movie at that point. Um, the movie debuted in the number two spot behind Dragnet and stayed there the following week but then dropped out of the top 10 during its fourth week of release. So then uh, moving on to reviews. So we're growing up in the early 80s. We love catching at the movies with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert to hear the reviews and watch clips from upcoming movies. Their review of the film was split. 
Gene slightly recommended the film, finding the sight gags funny, but the writing not as well done. Roger did find the movie to have funny moments, but for overall, it didn't work and also felt the movie came out way too late when parroting Star Wars, which came out a decade before. All right. I got an issue with that. (laughs) Me too. Go ahead, man. All right. So I actually do remember watching this on um, at the movies, because once again, one of the clips they showed was the merchandising scene. I have issue with Roger's contention not liking the film is because it's spoofing a movie that came out 10 years earlier. Yet, I went back and checked his review of Blazing Saddles, which came out in the 70s, which is spoofing Westerns. Mm-hmm. He gave it four stars. Mm-hmm. How many Westerns did you really have coming out in the 70s? When, when are, like, when you think Westerns, what decades do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, they're all over the place. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, probably that, 50s, 60s. I mean, yeah, you're, they're at the tail end at that right. point. Yeah. Okay. Young Frankenstein, which is spoofing oh, classic sure. horror movies that go way back. Yeah. Classic. I mean, they're using equipment from the original equipment from Frankenstein in Young Frankenstein. Roger Ebert gave right. that movie four stars. They're spoofing movies that happened 30, 40 years ago. Why yeah. don't you have a problem? Like, why are you spoofing Frankenstein? That movie came out, you know. So why do you have an issue? Why does it matter when the movie came out? Funny is funny. It doesn't matter when it comes out. Right. Well, that's the thing. Is there some sort of statute limitation, like, of when you can do a parody on something? Yeah, I just didn't understand why he was hanging his hat on the fact that, oh, why are you parodying a movie? It came out 10 years ago. Who cares? Yeah. It could have came out last year. I wouldn't care if it was still funny. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's odd too, especially with uh, satire, because I read the same thing where he said, like, the appetite for Star Wars satires had been completely exhausted. And, like, when has the appetite for anything Star Wars ever been exhausted? Well, never, because we're still, people are craving Star Wars today. Yeah. To this day. Disney paid, what, $4 billion for it? Yeah. So I just, it's a kind of a ridiculous statement. I agree with you. That made no sense to me. No, I agree. That's the one time I really had an issue with, I was like, if you don't like the movie, that's fine. But your reasoning is because it's a movie that doesn't make any sense. No, I agree. All right. So let's move on to additional thoughts and questions. What are some additional thoughts and questions we have about space balls? You know what? I always love credits when you see the actors' names along with the film footage of them. Oh yeah, I do too. I've mentioned this before. It's kind of like why I love the end credits of Predator or um trying to think of another movie that does it, but that's always comes to the forefront of my mind. But they do this in here where, you know, the credits play, you see the actor at, at a particular scene, maybe it's an outtake or a blooper, but you see the film footage along with their actual name at the bottom of the screen. So I love that. I'm going to give a shout out to Leslie Bevis as Commander at Zircon, and also Brenda Strong as Nurse Gretchen, Dr. Schlotkin's assistant, mm-hmm. who I just recognize once more as uh, being extremely sexy, both of them. Wow. I, I'm just, just going to say some attractive ladies. Like I've said many, many times, what can you say about Rick Moranis? That already hasn't been said. Original, you know, we know him from SCTV, Strange Brew, Ghostbusters, Club Paradise, Little Shop of Horrors, Honey Shrunk the Kids, 
I mean, uh, here's the interesting thing. In 1997, you know, he took a hiatus from working in the industry. Yeah. And this was a quote, according to the research, he later explained, I'm a single parent and I just found that it was too difficult to manage to raise my kids and to do the traveling involved in making movies. So I took a little bit of a break and the little bit of a break turned into a longer break. And then I found that I really didn't miss it. And so, yeah, Rick Moranis took an extended hiatus. I know. And we've, we all missed him, you know? Yeah. So he supposedly is coming back for the new Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie. Right. Which I'm like super excited about that. I I read that working title, at least just shrunk. Shrunk. Correct. That's what it's called. Again, I'm just talking about Rick Moranis right now. I just, I watch him the whole time. Just focus on him. If you could just, you know, if you're watching this for the millionth time, just dedicate one watch, just focusing solely on Rick Moranis, his facial movements, reactions, how he listens as an actor. He's always present and always thinking funny. And he's maybe just naturally looks funny, but his face, he's always performing he's whether he's just uh listening dumbfounded in shock or over the being over the top or whatever it might be always funny so just love the guy another additional thought i was just going to throw in my little story about bill pullman i think it was either the first or second gig i had when i moved out here in my pursuit of acting i signed up with central casting and was doing extra work and I ended up as an extra on Independence Day. And who plays the president in Independence Day? Yes. None other than Bill Pullman. And uh, I'll never forget, I was standing next to him getting pizza late one night. Uh, nice guy. You know, I didn't actually, I unfortunately didn't have a conversation with him, but I was in the makeup trailer with him. And just, I was so tempted to just, I, you know, at that time we were instructed not to speak to the stars, mm-hmm. not to bother them as ex, as lowly extras. But I just wanted to, you know, I was so desperate to say, hey, man, I loved you as Lone Star. Right. Or, you know, uh, the only man who dared give me the raspberry. Yes. Lone Star. But love Bill Pullman and uh, tall dude. I remember that. Tall guy. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. See how tall he is. Uh, maybe it's just because I'm short. He seemed tall. But uh, anywho, I, I'm a fan. And if you like Bill Pullman, I would recommend the series. I believe there's been um, three seasons of The Sinner. He plays this quirky horticulturist slash detective on this show. And I've enjoyed all three seasons. Bill Pullman in The Sinner recommend it. So those are just a few additional thoughts of mine, but I also have questions. Did you want to throw in some thoughts before my questions? Bill yeah, Grant? real quick. Just shout out to uh, Daphne Zuniga. Mm-hmm. There was a funny sight gag when she's in the ship taking off and she's got the Princess Leia. Oh, yeah. Hairdo. The buns. On. You see the buns and then you realize there are headphones. I thought that was that was pretty funny. Oh, yeah. Cool sight gag. Absolutely. And, um, amazing legs. I've got to say that too. Cause there is like, for Definitely. some reason, the second half of that movie, when her dress rips, like every scene, it just shows off her legs. And I was just like, wow, she's got some great 
legs. Bill Bent, as a kid, I'd be lying if I said I didn't want to see more of her, you know, when I was right. a teenage boy, uh, because she is an attractive woman. Mm-hmm. And I was always like, why is she? She's just she's got so much of that dress on. <laughs> I hate to be crude. She's just right. a beautiful woman. Yeah, you know? sorry. I know. Primitive Beautiful man. woman. Primitive and, man. Uh, but when right you now. did get a glimpse of, of a little leg, uh, you're like, yep, yep, she's hot. Yeah. It's like, wow. Um, also, um, just wanted to shout out to Dot Matrix, who is played by Lorraine Garnell. Yeah. Let's give credit where credit's due. She's the woman in the suit. Yeah. And I forgot. Well, I really didn't know who it was, but I can't believe how much I saw her growing up as a kid because she used to be in this pantomime group called Yernell and Shields. Do you remember them at all, Jason? I've never heard of them. No. Oh, okay. Because they were like on The Muppet Show, Sonny and Cher, and they were like mimes. And um, it was they were husband and wife. And he would always, he would like, they were like robotic, very robotic. Mm-hmm. And he would always, he had like this thin mustache and he'd always have this pipe and they would do the routines and they would do like little sound effects. Like she would like bend over to pick something and she gets stuck and he would pull out a, like a screwdriver and they do the sound effect of like her twisting in the neck and then she would get back up and they were cool. like very stiff, cool. And it was one of those things as a kid, it was really creepy, but incredibly fascinating. I mean, they had the dead eyes, right? Um, look them up on YouTube. All right. Shields and Yarnell. They have a, a famous skit they did for the Muppet show where they're having breakfast. I didn't realize it was her in the costume. And yeah. like that movement she does as Dot is the stuff she was performing for her. That would totally make sense. Stuff. Yeah. Sure. So um, that was just kind of cool just to, to see who it was and then just go down the damn YouTube rabbit hole, just watching right. all the old stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, I remember this. And I just kind of remember it just kind of freaking me out, but I always love watching it. So um, yeah, they did, they did spe- specials for Disney Muppet show. Like I said, everything, they were huge back then. It was wow. like, it was almost like Marcel Marcel. And then these two, <laughs> when you think of mimes that they should be up there on the list. So, and the fact she had to do that crap in the desert. Oh my well, God. Well, that's what I was going to say is that Mel Brooks gives her a special shout out and calls her a real trooper because of what, she had to go through because 120 degrees or something like, I mean, it was, they were out in Yuma, Arizona, literally in the desert. And they said she uh, couldn't shooting see it. And she had to be in that costume. It was mm-hmm. brutal. Yeah. So that's why they said purposely, like the, the scenes that they put the rollers on the feet so she could just get dragged. Around. And I'm like, you get dragged around. You can't see what's going on. That's amazing to keep your balance like that. I'm sorry. That's. Oh, she's clearly a talent. And yeah. she, the movements are great. I mean, yes. She's that she does. So yeah, I just wanted to make sure that you know both of them got a shout out. We didn't really talk about them that much during the podcast, but uh good job. All right. So you said you got some questions? Yeah, man. I mean, we were talking about parody movies earlier. So mm-hmm. uh what do you think is the best parody movie, or what are maybe some of your favorite parody movies, Bill Bant? I'm gonna go down the list. We have Spaceballs, of course, we have Scary Movie, which is a parody on the Scream franchise uh there were several scary movies uh wet hot american summer is one of my favorites hot shots hot shots part do there's loaded weapon uh naked gun airplane the austin powers movies uh top top secret one of my all-time favorites monty python and the holy grail kentucky fried movie not another teen movie hot fuzz 
Shaun of the Dead, Blazing Saddles, of course, in History of the World, Part One, also Mel Brooks movies. How about any of those? If I'm going non Mel Brooks, I was just surprised at how many parody movies there there are. You know, for some reason I just it, like I could only name a few off the top of my head, and I was like, oh man, there's more than I really realized. Yeah, I would go Austin Powers. I loved Austin Powers. Sure. And it was kind of funny because it was one of those movies I went to see in the theater. No one else would go see it. And then once it hit video, all of a sudden everyone's doing, yeah, baby. And I'm like, yeah, I, I was trying to do that seven months ago. And you, you looked at me funny. So, <laughs> and then the second one was like super huge. And then the third one that ran out of steam. I'd still love Myers to come back and do a fourth one. I would be, I'd be in. Yeah. I'm a Mike Myers fan. I'd love those. Yeah. And then of course, Airplane. I mean, that's that a classic. It just should be revered. It's still funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah. especially because you couldn't make that movie now because half the jokes. Oh, sure. You just couldn't do it. So I'm glad it's it's out there. You can see it and just laugh your ass off. Yeah. And I think I know, saw that at the drive in actually as a kid. airplane. Yeah. That's great. Uh, yeah, for me, Wet Hot American Summer is up there, man. That has a special place in my heart because that was a gem for me. That was a real discovery when I saw it for the first time. And it, that had to have been on, that must have been a rental, most likely, the first time I saw it. That is a loaded cast. I recommend watching it if for anyone else. Paul Rudd has a wonderful role in it. David Hyde Pierce, Janine Groff, uh, a lot of the members of the comedy troupe, uh, The State. Mm-hmm. So you've got, uh, and I believe one of them actually directed, I'm now some of the names are escaping me, but uh, there it's just spot on parody of those summer camp movies. Uh, and it's funny because I was just thinking of a sleepaway camp, like there's, uh, oh, yeah. but, uh, which we had just done as, on this podcast, but Wet Hot American Summer, really funny, really talented people, and, uh, comedians, com- comic actors, and, uh, and the like. Did you watch when they did the show? Oh, you know what? I still, God, you know, I'm ashamed to say that I, I think I tried, I started watching it and then got distracted. Okay. And I, I still, didn't, I didn't you know. watch it either. It was like a, like a, what, 10 episode or even, did it even go that? Was it even that many? I don't, you know, I don't even yeah. know now. But yeah, here, Michael Showalter, got Paul Rudd, Amy Poehler, Elizabeth Banks, Bradley Cooper's in it. Yes. Yeah, it's one of those uh, movies you watch. You're like, oh my god! It's like someone where they kind of got their start. But I have to also give a special shout out to Christopher Maloney. Chris Maloney. Uh, oh yes, wasn't he the famous cook or for like? Uh, yeah, he's the cook. Oh yeah. my god! Oh my god, Bill! So funny. Yeah. Uh, so wet hot American summer is my favorite. But there you go. Let's go right to the big question. Your favorite Mel Brooks movie? Oh, so easy. Young Frankenstein. Boom, boom, boom. Nailed it. 100%. I've seen that one more than I've seen all the other Mel Brooks movies put together. Yeah. And I've seen those movies a lot. But Young Frankenstein, hands down. Gene Wilder. God, fucking love him. Fucking love that movie. And that movie still makes me laugh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, road, road in the hay. <laughs> Abby Normal? Yes. You put an ab. Normal brain. Jason, that's one of those movies too. 800 pound gorilla. (laughs) And that's another one of those movies too, where I talked about American werewolf in London, where 
the strict bedtime and saw the first half of the movie and had to go to bed. And I was like, damn it. Oh, it's It's great. Young Frankenstein is my favorite Mel Brooks movie as well. Putting on the Ritz, man. Come on. It's it's just Peter Boyle and uh, yeah, Terry Garr. Oh my goodness. Is she attractive in that? I mean, she is spoken just, yeah, Uh, it's funny. So we agree on that. Hey, do we want a sequel for to Spaceballs? I mean, we kind we, I guess we talked about that already, didn't we? Um, I, I again, I I'd, I'd go see it. Yeah, I think it's too late though, because you'd have. I mean, it, <sighs> you can get Rick Moranis back. Are you? Are you saying because of the the cast? Yeah, trying to get most of the cast back in there. I mean, obviously, we we've lost John Candy. Yes, we still got Bill Pullman. I don't know what Debbie Zuniga's up to these days. Yeah, uh, she's doing like a lot of television. She's still around. She's still doing stuff. A lot of TV. Mm-hmm. Well, I knew she had done television. Yeah, I just don't know what she's doing today. But um, yeah, Joan Rivers. Yeah, yeah, no Joan right. Rivers either. Yeah, it'd be tough. Yeah, you just have to do. Yeah, I mean, new cast, but I mean, you got plenty of material. I mean, how much Star Wars do you, you know? I'm sure, you know, Sony will be going through their stuff at some point and like, oh, hey, let's try to bring out this property again. So I wouldn't be surprised, but I just, right. if you can't, if you can't have Rick Ryanus play Dark Helmet, then there's no point. In no that. way. Yeah, it has to be him. So maybe you could do a story with him, but I, yeah, totally different direction. I want to look up the Goldbergs episode that I guess he does a Dark Helmet Oh, that's right. I did hear he came back for that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's all I got for questions, man. Okay. All right. Let me just ask this then. Where would you rank this like with Mel Brooks movies? I would probably put it... Ooh, that's a good question, man. Maybe number three or four for yeah, me. I, th- I think I have it four, too. I have like the upper tier with Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, and Producers. Yeah, see, then- I am not a Producers guy uh, uh that, that that movie yeah and i get it i get it i can mm. see i could see why uh that movie didn't work for me um and i but i respect it i appreciate it for what it is uh for different reasons however uh i'm a history of the world part one guy i put uh, that in my top I, th- I i love that movie yeah see i'd put space balls ahead of that one mm. i see yeah i would say like history and spit is like tier two and then all right yeah and then high anxiety. Uh, the other ones, I'm just like, uh, okay, silent movie. Yeah, yeah, those two I've never seen. Uh, Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Oh God, yeah, of course. Yeah, and then you got Life Stinks and Dracula. It's Dracula Dead and Loving It, I think. Yeah, that those bottom bottom. Those are bottom feeders. Yeah, agreed. All right, so we're going like three or four, four yeah. maybe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess that takes us right into recommendations, and we kind of gave it away a little bit. Listening to the podcast, I think we kind of uh, know where we stand on this film. Yeah, I would definitely. This is this is a definite streamer. If you can find it somewhere to stream it and watch it, definitely check it out. It is funny. There is some great lines. There's some great visuals. There is stuff we did not say. So we didn't we didn't tell you everything. There is still stuff, funny <laughs> stuff out there that we uh, didn't talk about. So no way we could cover it all. No, this would be like a, a four-hour podcast then, and uh, yeah, I know we've tried. I know so we've tried to do four-hour podcasts, but uh, 
we won't do that, but yeah, there's a, yeah, a lot of psych gags. We didn't even talk. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff we didn't talk about. What's great about this movie too. And you kind of, Jason kind of mentioned this earlier. Like, even if you're not a star Wars fan, the, the movie still works. You don't really need to know star Wars in right. order to watch this movie. And I think that's what makes it great too. It's a story. It's simple enough, but fun enough for you to enjoy the movie. There is, there is a point a, and it takes you all the way to point B. There is three acts to this film, just like it's structured. It is. And there's a lot of spoofing in it too, but yeah, you got to see it for Rick Moranis. Like, especially if you don't really know who Rick Moranis is, this is, this is what you, you, you watch, you watch this, you watch honey and shrunk the kids. And then you, you watch him in ghostbusters and then yeah. strange brew. So that's like, like, that's like his big four to me, I think. Agreed completely. Yeah. John Candy. He's always amazing in everything he does. Um, he just, you know, he has such a warmth to him and that in a way barf is almost perfect for him. Cause that's, mm-hmm. that is who he almost is. He's just like your, your cuddly dog friend, the best friend. He is. Yeah. That's what he is. He feels like your yeah. best friend. And that, and of course we're, yeah, it just makes me think of splash again, which mm-hmm. we, we did on this. Yeah. Podcast. So yeah. yeah. Same thing. Um, although he's Hank's brother in the movie, but I mean, he is right. the best friend type. Yeah. yeah. This was, oh, I think Bill Pullman's second movie, but his first lead role. So it's kind of cool to just go back to see where he started. Absolutely. And I, I kind of skipped over that in the research and the fun facts and trivia is that he, they, uh, it was Mel Brooks and his wife, Anne Bancroft at the time had discovered him in a play. Yes. I believe Mel Brooks had also seen him. He had a bit part in the movie. Oh God. Ruthless, movie ruthless people. Ruthless people. And future, then he saw that's him a, a future play. podcast. All right. Yeah. Then they saw him in a play. But the fact that they had already cast two major stars with uh, Rick Moranis and John Candy, I guess it was it. They were like, okay, we can put an unknown in one of the right. other protagonist roles, one of the lead roles. And so, yeah. Yeah. And he's got a difficult spot for him too, because he's, he's in a way almost too like a, a straight man too, because he has to move. Right. So he doesn't have a lot of comedic moments throughout it. So it's, yeah, that's why we really didn't talk about him that much in it, but. Um, he, Cause he just, he does his job he, and yeah, but, and he does it well and he is funny. Like he's still a bit of a goof because clearly a handsome guy and he's the a good leading man. Mm-hmm. And he just, he, he plays off of everyone perfectly. So you buy him as the hero. And you you're rooting for him throughout, but you don't go to him for the hilarity. You know no. what I mean? That's not what you remember him for from this mm-hmm. movie. But he's more than capable. He's oh, great. Yeah. He's great. Like I said, if you, if you know Mel Brooks, you know Mel Brooks movies. Like I said, Jason, and I both put it in the top four. Check it out yep. if you haven't seen it. I concur, Bill Band. I heavily recommend it. Yeah, just watch uh, some heavy hitters, uh, some comic genius at work in this film again uh going back to the documentary which i had watched mel brooks talks about rick moranis and how rick moranis was a wonderful pain in the ass i guess he calls him a great pain in the ass yes and it's a compliment because they had to do several takes because rick moranis said well let's try it this way and how about you do it this in this this you you say that i'll say this then you say that and would kind of write it on the fly and Mel Brooks would get frustrated, but then realize, yeah, that's better. That's the better way to do it. And it's funny. Mm-hmm. And testament again to Moranis. But 
Mel Brooks put it together. And again, I love the fact that kids love it. I loved it as a kid. I still appreciate it and find it laugh out loud, hilarious as an adult. So uh, show it to your kids, you know, uh, yeah. it, it's, it's got a vulgar word here and there and there's innuendos, most likely some subtle stuff that'll go over the kids' heads. It's still good for kids. Cause it's just, it's entertaining. And there's some really goofy stuff in here because of Mel Brooks and his psych gags. The kids will get a kick out of it. So yeah, I think there is one F bomb. Oh yeah, there is. But yeah, like I said PG. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think you can get away with it. You get one F bomb. Yeah, I'm sure your kids have heard it anyway. So whatever. <laughs> I know my kids have, so <laughs> all right. Uh, anything else? Uh that's all I have for space balls. All right. So I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we'll be discussing 1984's Cloak and Dagger, starring Henry Thomas and Dabney Coleman. As always, please subscribe, give us a review, and rate us. You can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook at all80smoviespodcast or tweet us at podcastall80s. Until then, have a totally great week, everyone. Thanks for staying up with us. May the Schwartz be with you. Good night, world.